is film like milk. Yes. It's got culture in it. And it's. Mm, damn it. Leche. <laughs> Whole milk, skim milk, medium milk. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk Could me? Could you milk me? Welcome back to Age Like Milk 2022 edition. I'm one of your hosts, Paris Herbert Taylor, and with me as ever is David Rogers Williams. I think I'm saying that correctly. Hello to you. That is correct, m'lady. Hello. It's, it's not correct. I've, I've, I've mixed up <laughs> your names. For those that don't know, uh, yes, I'm Paris and we have David and uh, this is a new year. It's 2022. David, how were your holidays? They were good. I hung around L.A. A little mm-hmm. bit. It was kind of relaxing. Went to just a couple friends' get-togethers. Ate some good food. Had some laughs. Mm-hmm. One in Monopoly. Nice. That's what I do. Unsurprising. Yeah. I have played a few board games with you, and you're highly competitive and and good at games. Yeah. So. I want the dub, but it was it was good. How about <laughs> yourself? Yeah, it was good. You know, spending time with my partner's family up in Portland, and then you and I did New Year's Eve together. We. We're with a bunch of people and we went to the comedy store and had a great laugh. <laughs> I think you and I, the last comic of the night, the one that did like the countdown, he was like next level. He was just like had a bunch of cards in his hands and was just like toilet seats. <laughs> They're stupid. And at first, well, the other couple that was with us left. Right. And then it was just us without significant others. And then. We were all kind of like, what the fuck? And then I think, I don't know if just like the alcohol was kicking in or we were just like loving his comedy, but we were losing it. You and I were like eyes locked across the table. Yeah. It started getting a lot better once Mm. I think we figured out what he was doing. He was doing a bit. Yeah. Exactly. Because I think someone wrote down subjects on a little sticky notes and he Mm -hmm. was ripping one off had to do a joke and Mm -hmm. i feel like he was seeing it for the first time so after we talked about that but some of the jokes were literally just like that sucks and then (laughs) and then like a beat and we were like because it was so bad at one point that's when it's so funny yeah so we just really started cracking up so new year's was great holiday was great love a new year love to um be reflective love to think about you know, resolutions and stuff. Um, I think we should both share one resolution with our listeners. Uh, hopefully if you're listening out there, you have, you know, goals for the year. Obviously we're going into year three of the pandemic. So good to be kind to yourself. Uh, but one of my resolutions this year is to read a hundred scripts. So last year I read 86. Um, and the year before I read like 56. So I am, you know, going up and, uh, yeah, reading scripts is great as a writer to learn things it's great to just like you know see the movies in your head uh what do you say <laughs> what does he say in my head movies. my head movies yeah so that's one of my resolutions i know it's a bit lofty but so far we're what day five and i've read five scripts so i'm on track um but what about you david what's one of yours that's pretty though? good um so not just reading but i'd like to read slash listen to 30 books this year. Nice. So finishing up the Mel Brooks audio book, which nice. is fantastic. I recommend that Great. to any Mel Brooks fans. Mm-hmm. I got a copy. Um, and- I got a copy from Christmas for Christmas from you, which I'm excited yeah. to read it. Yeah, it's it's good. Just his the way he came up and got into the industry and mm-hmm. all the successes, failures and stuff he fell into. And just, yeah, it's amazing. And people, and people speak who, so great. People who are into like film and TV, like shouldn't discount the value in reading, you know, the biographies or autobiographies of people that they admire in the business, because, 
you know, there's this great quote. I think it was Bette Midler. And someone said, how do you make it in Hollywood? And she said, take Fountain, which is a street here in LA uh, that we live near, actually. And I read more about the interview and I hope it's her and I'm not like totally fucking this up. But basically, you know, there is no one way to make it in the entertainment industry. Like that's kind of what she was saying. You know, she can't you can't be Bette Midler. She's walked her own path. It's the same with Mel Brooks. Like he lived in a certain time. His career is his own. So much of our business is luck meets timing meets preparedness, you know, so, but I think it's really important, don't you? Like if you're interested in being in the entertainment world, reading people's biographies, seeing what they did, seeing how they came up, it can be inspiring, you know? Definitely. And activity level mm-hmm. of what Mel Brooks was doing. And it's getting in, even if it's ground level, which most people have to start at mm-hmm. and you learn get all this experience and you make all these relationships, which Mel Brooks did. And he just kept bringing people that he worked with over the times when he was a writer on a sketch, uh, sketch show and just bringing in actors from that mm-hmm. and just developing those relationships. And those all helped him to move forward in his career. Which speaking of building on relationships and working with people, that kind of ties into the film that we are doing tonight. And it's just the two of us, no guest, which is kind of nice because we haven't just done a, an episode, just the two of us in a while, but What is the film we are doing, David? The film is North by Northwest. Mm -hmm. And this was an Alfred Hitchcock movie Mm -hmm. directed and produced by Alfred Hitchcock. The writer was Ernest Lehman. And it stars Cary Grant, Eva Marie Saint, James Mason, and a bunch of other people. One that looked really familiar to me was uh, Martin Landau. Yeah, he looked really familiar to me. And I was like, who is this guy? You know what? Yeah. His voice as well was super, like memorable or something so mm-hmm. yeah did you figure out where you knew him from yeah i i looked him up and he's been in a ton of stuff i've seen yeah well it's a great film i will do the synopsis just kick it off this year basically it's a film about mistaken identity uh a regular joe advertising cad type guy in new york gets mistaken for a mr keplin who is clearly some kind of spy or someone that is trying to be assassinated and uh he goes on an adventure he goes from new york all the way to mount rushmore via chicago and he's constantly chased by these goons and he falls in love with a girl and blah 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 it's Cary grant you know they run run around Mount Rushmore, which I'm pretty sure you can't actually do. Um, (laughs) But I chose this movie and I chose it partly because it was on my like to-do list with films. So I do like Alfred Hitchcock. I mean, he is, you know, regarded extremely highly in the business. Uh, You know, obviously Rear Window is crazy, amazing, Vertigo. Like he's just, you know, a pretty- Psycho. Psycho. Yeah. Pretty prolific uh, filmmaker. But recently in Los Angeles, they opened up this museum uh, down by the La Brea top. It's called the Academy Museum. And if you go there, which I don't... David, you haven't been yet, right? No, but a friend of ours bought me a year past. That is so nice. Okay. Yeah. Shout out to Sean. Oh, that's such a great gift. Good job, Sean. Uh, So in the museum there is the painted backdrop of the Rushmore scene um, hanging in there and something else like they've got like all this information about, about the movie because it's considered like a great film. So I can't believe that I had never seen it before. Had you seen it before? 
I had never seen it before and I haven't heard of it. I've heard of some of the other mm. Alfred Hitchcock movies, but while listening to this Mel Brooks um, mm. audiobook, he regards Alfred Hitch- Hitchcock as the favorite or his favorite director of all time and like the greatest. Yeah. Um, and he used some of his stuff in one of his movies. He actually used Hitchcock as a genre. Oh, no way. For one of his movies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hitchcock is. It kind of became his own genre. I mean, the guy's a legend in the film business. And I think this movie, you know, it's not maybe one of his most famous ones, but I think it certainly is prolific. And I'm excited to jump into it with you. So 1956, that's quite a while ago. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting, like, you know, I'm pretty critical of films like that don't have a lot of diversity and like women characters and stuff like that. But going into this discussion about this film, I do want to say, and I'm curious to know if you are the same way, but I kind of give movies before the 60s like a different critical eye. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. While watching this, a couple things stuck out to me and I was like, uh, kind of let, let this right? go because yeah. they were working with what they could work with. Right. And I think it's important to remember that like, yeah, like, so, okay, for example, let's just dive right into it. There's like no people of color in this film. I mean, we always talk about people of color in films and then like sometimes like she's all that, for example, you know, there was two, I always bring that movie back up because I think it was like our first movie that we did, but like <laughs> there was the two sort of side characters that didn't really have character development, Gabrielle Union and I forget the other guy's name, but they kind of were just props, right, in the storyline. And in Alfred Hitchcock's movies, there's just no one, right? Like everyone is white. There's kind of people that you see in the background, like a couple girls leaving uh, one of the office buildings and one of the porters and like, you know, maybe like a, a guy on the train. But it's really very white, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yep. But the it's, cops, the detectives. The yeah. But yeah. It, it's also interesting because like because it's from the 60s or from the late 50s, it doesn't. I don't know. Does it did it stick out to you? It didn't. And I know exactly what scene you're talking about when they're going through like the doors, mm-hmm. when work was letting out mm-hmm. and Cary Grant um, and his secretary catching a cab. Yeah, there's like a couple people of color and that's it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to your point at that time, they might have only had those type of people working downtown. Right. In New York, right? Or they didn't think to, they, you know, like this character wouldn't have been friends with a person of color or like, you know, wouldn't have really interacted. I think that society was keeping people segregated, right? I mean, the the staff at the hotel in Chicago, they were all white too, right? The valet and everything. And then you move further along in history and then you kind of see some of those smaller roles with hospitality. Those were like some of the people of color and they rarely Tried. had like one line right they kind of did then, the. it was kind of like throwing them a bone it's like oh mm-hmm. you said something yeah so i i don't know why but it feels less terrible in this movie that they're I not get 100 percent because yeah. that's what our society was doing at that time <laughs> right. so yeah i get that because sometimes i think in filmmaking um and there's a lot of discussion about this in like screenwriting you know groups it's like you don't want to just make someone a char- I think one of the comedians we saw on New Year's Eve like was kind of making this joke. It's like people are throwing around race and like trying to make it inclusive, but sometimes it comes across as like trying too hard or something. Yeah, you're forcing it instead yeah. of just letting it be natural. Yeah, and just be a part of the story without being like, and this is a black guy. Yeah, uh, for me, being a person of color, mm-hmm. just do I have the opportunity 
to take a shot at this role. Right. And if I beat everybody out on it, then yeah, then that's what, then the I color, get it. The color then of your I, skin makes no it like, should make no difference. Yeah. yeah, especially if you're talking about uh, just a movie that's a random story and a random time. You know, a yeah. updated time. I would say, like the, like this history movies, you can't really do that for. But, but th- this movie could have been a completely people of color cast, right? Any, it could have been yeah, anybody, right? Any any shade of color is right. best acting, whatever, right? And yeah, so it's just opportunity. Right. And they, I mean, obviously they deliberately made choices because at the time as well, if you look at like the cost, like you mentioned, like Cary Grant was one of the biggest stars in the world. Like all these people that he cast, it's, you know, I think at the time, really the biggest person of color that was a movie star was Sidney Poitier, right? Yeah. And it's Sounds like, right. yeah. And so it's, I mean, I'm sure there were other actors trying to make it and it's frustrating as fuck if you're a person of color back in this day and age wanting to be an actor, but yeah, it's just interesting. I don't know. It's just the yeah. color. The color Are they going to pe- put them in a lead? Right. And I was going to the color of people's skin in this didn't bother me as much. Like, for some reason, it didn't feel as offensive as, like, movies that we've... I'm trying to think of a good example of a movie we've talked about where we're like, oh, why did it have to be this? Um, but, yeah. <laughs> but it is it is interesting. Um, James Stewart, the lead from It's a Wonderful Life... Mm-hmm. Right, that Christmas mm-hmm. holiday movie, he wanted to play the lead in this. Yeah, and he had been he'd been the lead in like four or five other Hitchcock movies, mm-hmm. and um, Hitchcock was like, "No, I just you're not right for it." But he didn't want to hurt his feelings, so he waited for him to get cast in something yeah. else, and yeah. then he cast the role. No, I I saw that. I think he was like talking to the guy excitedly about it on set or something, and then the guy like mistakenly thought that he was offering him the role. And then he had to kind of like walk it back and be like, oh, yeah, totally. And then when, yeah, had to wait till he was like busy to. What did you think of Cary Grant's acting in this? Well, I read something interesting on IMDb, the, you know, place to go for interesting information on movies to learn some stuff. So Cary Grant was completely confused by this film, like the whole way through. Yeah. And Hitchcock was like, that's great. Yeah. Because that's what your character should be doing. Right. So I did think (laughs) the whole time through this movie, it felt like everyone else was acting and like being in a movie. And Cary Grant was kind of like just showing up to every scene. Do you know what (laughs) I mean? What's going on? Yeah. He's kind of like looking around. And it's funny. I was texting you when I was watching it. And I feel like there's so many memes that I now recognize are from this movie, which is interesting. Um, But yeah, I mean, he just was like, I also read that he thought this movie was going to be a complete flop until the day it came out. Until it came out, yeah. It was behind on, not on budget, but did you see how what his, how his contract was structured? Yeah, so it was like he got $5,000 a day for every day that they went over. Every day they went over and like a couple, I think like a week after they started shooting or the day they started really shooting, it was already over because right. he was slotted for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, once they actually got into production and shooting, he was already over. So he made about the same as what his salary was, which is like $400,000 at the time. So that's crazy. Not a bad, not a bad gig, but not a bad I just work. felt, yeah, I just felt like his uh, acting, especially, and this is hard to do, but, that car scene when he was trying to be drunk and then that chase scene, I was like, I laughed out loud literally a few times. And that's when I text you, text you. I was like, I can't with some of the parts of this movie because yeah. it was just so corny to me. Yeah. And then I just kept going back like this is a different time. It was probably yeah. harder to shoot. He was in studio because that's a green screen behind yeah. him. And Those the way the 
those, cuts were, those were kind studio, of bizarre. Those studio drivings, they're always like moving their hands so much and it's like a fucking straight road. And you're like, where yeah. are you? What are you doing? You know? But I literally was like picking like Denzel or Daniel Day-Lewis thinking like those type, type of um, tier actors, which Cary Grant probably was at the time. Mm-hmm. They would probably crush that scene mm-hmm. playing drunk. But he like overplayed it mm-hmm. and it was almost like making fun of somebody that was drunk but i think that's also the acting of the time like don't you feel i mean you have to remember too these sets were built on massive sound stages which i guess things are now mm-hmm. but like everything that is delivered in these movies because i kind of went down a rabbit hole during the holidays of watching like some older films and it's like very stage acting you know what I mean? Like very theatrical. Ge- yeah, just very gesturing and like very like over the top. And so I also did notice that scene where he was pretending to be drunk. Or no, I mean, he was acting drunk, but he was drunk in the car. And you yeah. know, it's like, you're like, dude, what? <laughs> <laughs> no. It was so long. I know. It was so long. I was long. thinking how funny it would be if it was like, a, you know, a comedy and they just did that. Uh, chasing for 35 minutes yeah. <laughs> with him just dodging stuff and being a horrible yeah. drug actor. Yeah. So people are like, what the fuck is going on in this movie? Well, you know, what's so funny is what I read was that they ended up only cutting five seconds of film from like the original cut. So this was obviously filmed on actual film. Yeah. And Alfred Hitchcock like knew exactly what he wanted out of the film that he shot exactly like the amount of frames that he wanted to make in this. So although that car chase was long, yeah. he envisioned it that way. So I hope I'm not misquoting this, but I think again, in that Mel Brook book, uh, I'm not getting paid to plug his book, but, <laughs> but you um, should be. I, I think he was saying that, um, that Alfred Hitchcock would edit in his head as he's shooting. So like he would, do a whole scene uh-huh. and he would know what he wanted because he'd be doing that in his head, how it was going to come oh out. My God. So to that point, um, that would make sense. And if I, that's well, the I director did, it's interesting because I did see that the studio, which is MGM wanted him to cut 15 minutes and he just straight up said no. And like went to his lawyer and his lawyer checked his contract and you know, he had final he say. Had final. Yeah. yeah. But it's interesting that you say that because I mean, maybe a lot of directors do that, but that is a very, specific type of um filmmaker that can see that you know like you and i have made a couple of shorts together and we know from you know making things that are like three fucking minutes that like this take feels different than this take and like oh i kind of moved the camera a little bit this way and like oh i liked that better so it's really interesting that he kind of had the had the whole thing mapped out in his head yeah Um, it's pretty impressive what did you think of the uh female depictions in this film they were kind of interesting. I, I'd like to start with the first kind of female we see, which is his mother. It <laughs> who, he was keep, such a, who he keeps calling Dia, which is so yeah, weird. Yeah, Dia or like, that. what's that uh, animated show in England that we both watched? And he was like, Mummy, Mummy oh, Dearest. Uh, like the queen the, or something The like prince? That? The little the prince? Yeah, the one that's like yeah. making fun of the royal family. And, as, and yeah, <laughs> I was thinking about, you know, that dad, mom relation or that father mother relationship mm-hmm. with him because it kind of was bizarre between the mom and yeah, Carrie Grant. She was almost infantilized by him. Like he was kind of definitely the more dominant one, wasn't she? Wasn't he? Yeah, but it, to start with, it was like he was 
like a nine-year-old talking to his mom like mom oh i gotta get a wire to her because blah blah blah. she's gonna check my breath just weird for an adult who's been divorced twice to speak to his mother and have that kind of relationship so i thought that was kind of it was kind of throwing me off and it was a little that's actually for me not the first woman we meet the first woman we meet is his assistant right yeah so this is yeah but it I found the assistant thing, even though she was in like the first like two minutes of the film, that was something I definitely wrote down where he's like manhandling her. He's like, walk with me to the plaza. And she's like, I'm tired. And he's like, okay, great. Get in this cab. And then he like kind of manhandles her to the cab and he's like, thanks, sweetie. And it was just like, I mean, and he said her <laughs> diet should be better because yeah. she'd have more energy. <laughs> yeah. Just some things that you can imagine your grandparents saying. And now you're like, oh, this is where they learned it from. <laughs> Like my grandmother, like God rest her soul, love her, miss her every day. Um, I will never forget like getting on the phone with her at the age of 14, calling from Hong Kong. And she asked me straight up if I was like, you know, watching my weight. And I was like, what the fuck? You know, like this is old people of that time. They just like, yeah. that was a normal topic of conversation. Like, oh, how's your diet? Yeah. You know. Very direct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just inappropriate. But yes. So there's those two women. The mother is definitely hilarious. And then, of course, we come to Miss Eva, who is Mm-hmm. almost femme fatale type character in the film wouldn't you say mr david i would so as you were watching this movie who are you uh suspecting was either like <sighs> I gonna betray him well, or I, be an agent i okay so earlier on the film so basically he gets mistaken his name is roger thornhill and he gets mistaken for mr kaplan this like elusive george kaplan that they're all looking for and then there's a scene where we're kind of in like a agency headquarters and we realize that Mr. Kaplan is like a decoy agent and actually doesn't exist. And like, so he's just, you know, they can't find the real Mr. Kaplan because this guy is nobody. It's a myth. And, and then they say something like, you know, well, the real agent is working close to this guy Van Damme, the bad guy. And I think at that point we haven't met Eva. So I didn't suspect her at first because I didn't know that she was connected to them. So I was definitely Mm -hmm. suspecting the super tall thin guy whose name is um, Leonard. Yeah. um, That was pretty good because I was unsuspecting of of her as well. I suspected her when she... I forget when he went in the bathroom, I'm playing and I was like, Oh, maybe it's her. Also, it was like, she came onto him so quick. It was kind of suspect when she hit him from the cops and she admitted that she knew he was a murderer. So I was kind of like, Oh, that he had been accused of being a murderer. Accused of murder. Yeah. I was like, what is wrong with this lady? And then she got real close in that train car, (laughs) Well, also, which was a weird scene. I was like, Oh, she's the original, you know, old cops a bad lady because she's like telling these cops like oh yeah he went this way and she's just like not cooperating at all and i was like oh (laughs) hey girl hey um but yeah the this is the problem with movies i think before i don't know today these romances they're so compact like would you would you like get feelings for someone after like seeing them on a car train you know what i mean no and it's great that you said that because this is like a two hour and 20 minute movie and yeah to your point that part this is, is still very quick very quick yeah she kind of like it's almost like that whole like love at first sight like she just felt a vibe and like, then oh wow because yeah. spoiler alert i mean go watch the movie but also listen to our podcast and laugh along with us but <laughs> at the end you know it turns out she was obviously the agent and she was keeping him close to save her own skin but then 
she's like, but I did have feelings for you. Like, and it's like, how you just met this guy, you know? <laughs> and he's also talking about her becoming Mrs. Thornhill. Like he's fine with it. He's fine that she betrayed him, almost got him killed. And that they've had like one night together. I guess it's better than the movies that they don't bang. And you're like, well, what if she's terrible in bed? True. But I saw something that they dubbed over it when they were talking about food and love or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they had to dub it over because uh, she really said, like, can't make love on an empty stomach. I know. And which is they didn't want that. Yeah. They didn't want that in there right away. So they, in post, they dubbed Because when they it. were talking about being in the one bed, they definitely weren't talking about fucking. Like, this is the, this is the, <laughs> this is the 50s for you. Like, everything is so subtle and like, wink, yeah. wink, which. Let's talk about Leonard, the Martin Landau character. So in reading about him, I tell me if you caught this, because I definitely did not. But he said he decided to play the character gay. Did you read that? I didn't read that. So it's very subtle, apparently. But he had made this. He, apparently, the way he connected with Alfred Hitchcock was that he was in this play in New York or off Broadway. And uh, Alfred saw it and he played the super macho guy. And on day one he kind of decided to play this character gay. It's not obvious, right? Mm -mm. And what's interesting is there's only a couple of lines and the censors shit their pants. The the line that (laughs) the line that was like not cool with the censors back in those days was it's my women's intuition or call it my women's intuition. Apparently that was a wink and a nudge to the audience that he was gay. Yeah. That he has a woman's intuition. Mm -hmm. And then, so everybody was like, Oh, then so is Van Damme, the bad guy is he bi? Because he kind of makes a comment like, don't be jealous. You know, I'm flattered. And the actor said, no, he wasn't playing the character bi, but you know, he showed up on set and made a choice and he had to run with it. So, but it was not obvious to me. (laughs) And who also, who cares? Like in this day and age, who cares? But in those days it was like, (gasps) scandalous. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I thought all the acting in this was very fun. I found out some very interesting things about the making of, like the fact that that house at the end did not exist. Did you see that? Um, the one that was in. Yeah, the one at right the end. under Mount Rushmore. Yeah, yeah, the one. Yeah. That, so it was like, <laughs> so the interiors were on a stage, but the exteriors was like a flat painted canvas, which is interesting to discover because there was one shot where I was like, that looks really like. I think maybe I could see like light kind of shining on it or something. It looked like yeah. a painted backdrop. That's interesting. Um, I thought it was a real house. And then when, yeah, when they're coming down the driveway, mm-hmm. you can see that's a, I, I knew that was a backdrop yeah. of the house. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it was kind of subtle. Like yeah, wh- whatever artist did that was pretty talented. Yeah. No. And they, they made it to look like at the time and still to this day, one of America's most famous architects, Frank Lloyd Wright. So the house didn't exist, but he had like, you know, certain realistic elements that he wanted as part of it. But no, not not a real set, not a real house on the outside. Yeah. It actually was built on the soundstage in Culver City. So there you go. There you go. And did you see um, that they were about to shoot at Mount Rushmore and um, Hitchcock like messed it up? Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. Uh, because he wasn't, they weren't supposed to run around on like the president's heads or anything like that. <laughs> and so he disrespectful. Said, yeah, he said that he was going to like just before the shoot and they had to reschedule it. Well, and I did see that like, so they didn't have to go to, <laughs> I read it out and uh, to Scott and he's like, what are you cackling about over there? Because I was reading the facts. 
And instead of going to North Dakota and the expense of going all the way to North Dakota, Alfred Hitchcock just had a hundred trees planted on a soundstage, which to me seems like a lot of effort, you know, Interesting. but apparently less effort than going to South Dakota. And when I think about it or North Dakota, wherever, whichever Dakota the things are in, um, when I think about it, if you think about the film equipment in this time, imagine how incredibly difficult it would be to get the camera gear to another state because these cameras were like, like almost as big as like, you know, dollies these days, like cranes, you know, I I saw they did shoot there. Uh, Oh, that's interesting. I saw they did not. So, so we'll have to fact uh, check. What I read is that he told the newspaper, uh, um, like the day or day, day of the shoot that they were going to be running around on the president's head. So Mm -hmm. the, the park struck or the park pulled their permit. So they spent a day shooting in the parking lot and then in the cafeteria. Uh, and then they had to build um, the Mount Rushmore. Exteriors. And yeah. Okay. A, got it. Yeah, on the soundstage. I mean, I did also see that they wanted to call this film, the man in Lincoln's nose. And they wanted to have a scene <laughs> of Cary Grant inside Lincoln's nose, just like sneezing. And obviously the Rangers and people were like, no fucking way. So a man in Lincoln's nose. Yeah. Interesting. It's a good alternate title. Yeah. It is. But I mean, there's so much in this movie that obviously, you know, has aged, like the fact that there's no technology, like all this, like running around and trying to find people in hotel rooms and shit like that. Like nowadays, that just wouldn't be a problem. Stabbing in the back Mm -hmm. at the United Nations Mm -hmm. never would happen um, because they'd have cameras there. Mm -hmm. But did you read about the United Nations scene? Yes, that they weren't allowed on the outside. so So they put it in a truck. A hidden camera. Yeah, And there's actually, I did kind of notice it when I was watching it and I thought it was funny. There's one guy that kind of does a double take when he sees Cary Grant going up the stairs. You can kind of see it. But uh, listen, I think guerrilla style filmmaking, even in Alfred Hitchcock's day, like yeah, sometimes you just got to do it. <laughs> a no is not a no necessarily. I mean, it is in consensual, you know, yes. sex and such. But uh, for filmmaking, it's like, well... Well, they don't know. Well, that's for forgiveness, you know? Yeah, exactly. Let's see what we can get away with. Um, Hitchcock was in one of the scenes. I saw in the very beginning, right? In the very beginning, yeah. He uh, was trying to get on a bus and didn't. And then there's kind of like a fan theory that he was dressed up as a woman on the train. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of seems like a lot of effort to go to to put yourself in the movie. I don't think that one's confirmed. Yeah. So having worked on one movie, uh, the well-received and just critically acclaimed Sweet Girl, which was the movie I've, you know, insinuated that I worked on throughout different episodes. Um, We put a lot of crew into certain scenes. I will never forget one of our ADs got to like get on a train in one of the scenes. I was super jealous. Um, Our assistant prop guy actually was in a very small scene that ended up getting cut. Um, but it was literally like him and five people around the table. And honestly, as someone who works in film, I love stories like that. You know, like I love that Alfred Hitchcock puts himself in movies. I think it's great. And yeah. a, a lot of the art departments, I mean, just from the one I worked on, like we did a scene in sweet girl that was this massive, like bowl gown type scene, this charity dinner. And all of the name tags on the on the place settings were people from the crew, which I thought was so cute. And I, I managed to uh, snag someone's name tag at the end of shooting after three days that was like, you know, a PA and was like, oh, my God, look at this. And they were just so delighted to have something, you know, part of movie history. Yeah. Make you feel 
like you really were there and you're, you're seen yeah because you're working hard also it's like why come up with like a hundred fake names when you've got all these names on a list in front of you so right there exactly mm-hmm. yeah um did some of those people that were in those scenes do they get um like sad credits yes they do in fact one the, i think the assistant prop guy even though his scene got cut i think he it made him sag eligible which was very cool and nice. obviously you get paid like sag rates which is nice for the bank account because he's probably on the he's probably in the other union right with people that um whatever the prop union prop, is yeah yeah you know nice so double dip and double dip and i know i really really wanted to be in a scene but i didn't know how to ask it was also my first movie and at the time my boss was a little bit scary to me um, <laughs> <laughs> since become someone that I, you know, could talk to and probably ask no problem. But at the time I was like, Ugh. Um, but yeah, so this movie, as much as it was like, yeah, no people of color, the women, not super fleshed out. Although I will say Eve was, Eva was definitely more interesting than some of the other female characters we've seen in different, uh, different movies. There weren't a ton of women, right? True. But, um, it is interesting that you say that you would want to see a better character arc for some of the women, especially in this time, but they weren't really over-sexualized, no. right? She was pretty covered up. Even yep. uh, Eva is like the femme fatale. Mm-hmm. She was pretty covered up and it was like how she acted that was really sexy, yeah. right? Trying to lure him in yeah. and make him comfortable you could definitely- instead of sometimes with, oh, show us your body. Yeah. No, no, scene. no, no. I mean, yeah. and, uh, maybe that's at the time though, like the senses would yeah, have let that stuff. It, yeah. In the fifties. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely like totally misogynistic. Like all the women are sort of manhandled and told where to go and what to do. But in this case, she pulls her power from being uh, like a secret agent. You know, she's a boss bitch. She's got a, she's got some agendas going on. Yeah. So I never really was clear. This might be me just being totally dense, but the bad guy Van Damme what why why was he a bad guy i mean i know he had that statue that was full of film but we never he really was stealing secrets like state secrets oh, and selling got them got it yeah but i didn't know that until the very end of the, right. <laughs> the movie I was, like, I was i was thinking the same thing i'm like what does this motherfucker do that yeah. um why the is, shadow organization yeah. the, it was the fbi right that mm-hmm. was in that back room mm-hmm. um and that was a very white room. Um, there was a woman at the table, which we like to see, but plotting. yes, it was extremely white. Only white yeah, people. She's the only one that stuck up for the good nature of trying to clear this guy's name. Yeah. And then the other guy's like, no, fuck that. We got to let him ride so <laughs> yeah. our agent doesn't get discovered. Yeah. 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 I mean, people were just dying. Like the real, um, I think the Van Damme's like code name is like Townsend, George Townsend or something. Um, he goes to... Uh, Cary Grant's character goes to the United Nations to like confront this guy and like try to figure out what the fuck's going on. He just gets a knife in the back and dies. Like there's a lot of <laughs> casualties, you know, yeah. as they're just letting their agent chill in the, in her hotel room. But yeah, it was. And then what else was funny to me? Um, the guy who was an assassin and he was also like the lawn care guy mm-hmm. in one scene. Was that his wife that I think that's what the they pistol were, on uh, Cary Grant? I think that's what they were trying to say. Like, you and your yeah. husband will be safe. And it's like, no, sir. Yeah. Or that he was like, dude's going to, my husband's going to come back in with the other guy. Yeah. With Martin Landau's character, mm-hmm. with Leonard. And then 
blah 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 so <laughs> that was a weird throw in to me yeah it's like hey by the way these two are married. <laughs> these two are fucking is there this is a crime couple i think i think that's what they were saying but i don't know yeah. I, I love they tied up some things at the end like in the beginning scenes there's this woman that comes in and she's like dinner's ready and then very at the very end he's like tell my sister she did a good job i'm like oh she was a sister like you know they, t- <laughs> they tied some things up with a nice bow but yeah i think this era of filmmaking is very fascinating i read an amazing book a couple of years ago that i have still on my shelf called the big picture which is all about the old studio systems um from when they were like kind of conceptualized all the way through like the golden era you know this era um up until like i think the early 2000s it kind of goes into uh and it's fascinating because mgm was such a mega house of film right and they oftentimes had actresses and directors and people under contract for years so they would make like you know 10 mgm pictures but this was the only film that Alfred Hitchcock, I could speak, I swear. This is the only film that Alfred Hitchcock made for MGM. So, yeah. That's interesting. And so he wasn't signed with them so. on like a multi-picture deal. It seems like he made most of his movies with Paramount and I could be totally wrong and people will email us angry things. Um, <laughs> but also MGM tried to get him to use this new camera equipment that they had. And he said no, because he was like kind of nervous of change and something about the sound coming in like monocular or, you know, mono or whatever. And um, obviously now they've had to re-record the entire soundtrack and stuff through the stereo, which is what we use. So, yeah, Alfred not super down to change his filmmaking ways. Yeah. It, um, it was interesting to the writer. Did you see that Ernest Lehman? They were writing something else. It was mm-hmm. a movie or an, off a novel called The Wreck of the Mary Deer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was just like, dude, I, I can't do this. And then Hitchcock was like, what about this? And pitched and him the idea. Just, and pitched an idea. And they started writing it. MGM thought they were working on, <laughs> Lehman was working on that movie the whole time. And they showed him what they were really doing. They're like, all right, cool. We'll, we'll run with that. And then they reassigned um, The Wreck of the Mary to another another writer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, again, Alfred just seems like the kind of guy that just does whatever the fuck he wants. (laughs) And then he, um, you know, asks for forgiveness. So kind of respect that about him. Although, yeah, I do too. And I don't think it's just because of his position where he got to and the name he was throwing around because, and I'll say it one more time, this is not a pitch for Mel Brooks book, but <laughs> every time he went, this was like his first movie. He did this, right? Mm. He, every time he met with the studio and they're like, clip that, clip that, clip that. And he's like, gotcha. Taking notes. All right, I'll clip it. Okay. I'll and clip you that. Said, no, fuck this. And then he would tell the studio like president, he would do it. And then he just wouldn't do it. And then, they had movie release. It was great. Everybody loved it. And it was like, all right, after like the screenings and stuff. So lesson with this, if Hitchcock did it, Mel Brooks did it, stick with your gut yeah, and put out your creativeness, right? I'm making, I'm making a a limit. I'm making a face only because yes, I think you're right. And if you're the creative, but I, I straddle a difficult line because I am trying to be a creative with the writing and the, the producing. And then I also, you know, my day job is as a creative executive reading material and like talking to creatives all the time. And yeah, maybe if you're Alfred Hitchcock, you can be like, fuck you, I'm doing this, you know, but I do think there is a collaborative element to filmmaking. And if a studio executive is telling you something and you're like, no, this guy's an idiot. Like I'm not doing that. Don't do it. Obviously, oh, like, you know, do your own thing or 
if you can. Uh, but sometimes, you know, like there are people out there with your best interest at heart and it's like, I don't know. I, I struggle because I'm kind of walking both lines right now. Yeah, I, I get that. But if it's, I would say if it's not hurting something, right. like you're an intelligent person. If someone's like, hey, this is going to skew this way, yeah. you're going to say, okay, I, I didn't see it like that. I get it. But if it's like, no, this is like a perfectly fine joke. I'm going to leave this in. Yeah. And let's, the, let's get another the, opinion. The, the challenge with filmmaking, which I don't know that people necessarily understand, you know, like a film comes out and everyone's like, Oh my God, the writing was terrible. Or the director sucks. Or the acting, blah, blah, blah. Like there are so, and we say this all the time on this podcast, right? Like there are so many people involved in making a film and pretty much from what I've seen from, you know, being on set for a film, everybody feels like their opinion is valid or maybe they have a suggestion. And of course, opinions are going to differ, right? Like an executive is going to maybe have a different idea than the writer or the director or whatever. So it is a team effort. And I think as long as everybody in the room is pulling for the direct, you know, for the best possible version of the, the story, then it's good. Um, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. There's a lot of different parts to that. I, I guess what I'm getting at is if you're in the position where yeah. you can put something out and it's just like someone else above you that's maybe financing or something's like, hey, I kind of disagree, maybe push harder yeah. to get it out. Oh, you but should, like you to should, your point. You yeah. should always stand, like you said, though, you put put it very succinctly, like follow your gut. You know, like nobody's trying to make a shit movie, I think. But, you know, from a writing perspective, I've seen it. I do script exchanges with people all the time. I get notes from people. I give notes. It's always very interesting when people are like married to an idea. And that's totally fine. I always say whenever I'm giving notes, like, these are my opinions. This is your story. Like, you know, do your thing. Um, But like, you know, using the example of a joke that you just said, like maybe the joke really isn't that funny. And like the pitch Mm -hmm. that the pitch that you give me is better, you know, but when you're Alfred, the, when, yeah. you're, when you're Alfred Hitchcock, like, you know what I mean? Well, and that's, and that's the difference because these are, we're talking about a director compared to writing. So if a director says, and the director has the chance to say, all right, Paris, you're pushing for this joke hard. I don't really agree. Um, let's shoot it and see how it looks. But, and the director can do that, right? The yeah. director can say, all right, let's spend, let's spend a little bit of money. I trust my writers, yeah. even though I don't think this is good, let's shoot it. And then I could be wrong. Um, but a, a director can do that and have that yeah. kind of, you know, say, nah, nah I'm good with the, and, to the executives. And Alfred as well, like clearly had such deep visions of his scripts. The fact that he, or his stories, I should say that he was editing in his mind because that, that's another thing too, right? Like so much of a film comes out in the edit. So Yeah. Basically, Alfred Hitchcock is a genius. Hot take. Um, <laughs> you know, his movies are pretty good. Nobody probably thought that. But yeah. Was there any one performance that really stood out for you from an acting perspective? Um, not so much. Hmm. I, so you yeah. thought it was like a good ensemble? I, uh, I'll, I'm going to leave that for uh. the... Yeah. <laughs> You're like, no comment. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I mean, I did think Eva did a good job. I mean, she was the only kind of strong gish woman in this. And I thought she carried it pretty well. You know, it's you watch movies from this time period and you can tell they did the like close up glamour shot. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where they kind of clearly like put sort of light on her face and she sort of looks at the camera and it's 
Yeah, you know, it's it, like more in the eyes. Yeah, yeah. but I, I thought she did a great job. I and then the last scene, I was like, oh, she's so hysterical. They're hanging off the edge of Mount Rush, Mount Rushmore, and it's just like, you know, yeah, like they're lying down and they've just tilted the camera on the side. And that's like, ah, part of I'm falling. No, yeah. you're not. Don't lie. Yeah. You've got a wind machine in your face. <laughs> this is bullshit. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm glad we watched the film. I Me am. Too. I think there's a lot of gaps in my film knowledge, which I'm slowly filling in. Um, and this was definitely one of them. And it, it makes me want to go and kind of watch all of Hitchcock's films just to kind of. Same. You know? Yeah, we should sprinkle in more Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. And I, I got a couple other older. We both do have yeah. some older ones from like yeah. the 50s. I think we should. It's it's good to watch those. And I'd be interested to read that book, too, you're talking about. Well, so you, let me borrow that. You know what got me on the path of this is like, obviously, we did a lot of Christmas movies in 2021. Uh, it was kind of our thing. We did like four or five, I think, this year, this past year. I watched White Christmas, which is kind of an older movie, and that's what led me down the rabbit hole because, you know, similar to today, you kind of see a lot of the same names, a lot of the same faces kind of overlapping. And I'm not, you know, Cary Grant wasn't in White Christmas, but I kind of went down like a Bing Crosby hole. Uh, I think he's really fun. And, you know, obviously then, you know, you've got Marilyn Monroe and all these people and uh, what's her name? The one that ended up becoming Princess of Monaco, Grace Kelly, you know? So it's it's fun to go back in time, but yeah, for some reason, it doesn't necessarily slap you in the face like the lack of diversity, the lack of representation, because you're just kind of like, eh, it's long enough ago that it kind of feels like it's sort of okay. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know the yeah. the mentality behind it. Um, was there anyone in the film that you really wanted to shout out from a making perspective? Oh, yes, there is. Mm. So I want to shout out Peggy Robertson. Mm. And she was a script and continuity department. And I thought it was funny because that stuck in my head that Cary Grant didn't know what was going on. (laughs) I know, right? So this must have been a tough job for Peggy. Um, Oh, Peggy. She just got to stand. She's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, Cary, get the joke, man. Like, come on. Get get it. Get with it. Yeah. What? What? I don't have no idea what this line means. <laughs> I have no um, idea what I'm doing here, but I'm just exactly. getting paid five thousand dollars extra a day. So, so I want to shout out to her. She worked on a ton of stuff mm-hmm. with. Um, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. She was uh, an assistant to Mr. Hitchcock for seven different movies. Look at you, Peggy. Yeah, and then um, she did script and continuity on North by Northwest and Vertigo. Oh shit! So yeah, so. You know, she was, uh, back in those days, they didn't call them script coordinators if they were women. They were just the script girl, which is script, kind oh, of geez. fucked up. But yeah. listen, Peggy, I'm I'm sure you're probably no longer with us because this movie was a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, she passed away in 98, I believe. Damn but it. it's bullshit because there's a lot of a lot of this stuff is like, it's a script supervisor, uncredited. And mm-hmm. it's like, let's not let's give her a credit. Yeah, let's give Peggy a credit. Yeah. And, and if Peggy's family is randomly listening out there, which, you know, stranger things have happened. Peggy seems like she would be my girl. And I love her, even though I just sort of learned of her. And girl, we see you and we appreciate you. We see you and we appreciate you, Peggy. We see you, Peggy. Yeah. Yep. Well, I also chose a woman in the crew because obviously not so much um, women representation on screen. I went for Ruby Rosenberg, who was the unit manager, um, production manager 
also uncredited, which I'm like now thinking like, why? And when I go down the list of all the people that worked on the film, it's like mostly the women weren't credited. So I don't know what the fuck is going on there. But um, yeah, uh, Ruby worked on this. She worked on Trapeze. She worked on The Night of the Hunter. She worked on The Gorilla at Large, Westwood, The Women, like all these movies that like, to be honest, I haven't heard of. The Man at the Eiffel Tower. Um, Every Girl Should Be Married. Going to definitely have to check that one out and get some um, get some tips. But uh, yeah, after North by Northwest, she did a short and that is it for her filmography. And she um, unfortunately died in 1961. So. Oh, no. Yeah, she might have been older. I mean, well, it looks, okay. it looks like she was born in 1908. So she probably was only in her 50s. But, you know, production managers, yeah. unit managers, like that's a tough job. People don't necessarily understand but it's a lot of organization it's a lot of like wrangling shit um it's not a super glamorous job but the movies would not be able to be made without them so ruby we see you and we appreciate you we see and we appreciate you rest in power like you said right Mm -hmm. um but david this is the part of the film where we decide if north by northwest has aged like milk okay me go first you go first ladies first but yeah let's go me okay yeah um i don't think it aged like milk and i find that very weird because it's definitely one of the older milks that we have tried on this podcast but it's almost like a milk from a different time like a milk from like the depression era that our grandparents would have hoarded and then you open it and it's like surprisingly drinkable and although it's um only for white people. No, I'm just kidding. You know, <laughs> this milk is only for Caucasians. No, I mean, yeah, as a feminist, do I think this is a feminist film? No. Do I think this is a film that showcases the wide variety of people living in New York at the time? I'm sure. No. But for some reason, it kind of, um, I don't know, maybe my bar is low because other films from this era are so misogynistic or something but um no i think it's it's definitely can fresh like from the depression era but like in a bomb shelter but you could still drink it and you wouldn't die (laughs) um but yeah i i surprisingly uh, dare i say loved it i liked it and it was Yeah. yeah yeah when you said that i thought of um my grandparents used to save all the little slivers from the bars of soap and Mm -hmm. make like squish them together yeah to have one bar my my grandma did that for sure (laughs) for sure she had i'm sure my grandpa had one of those like what are they called like the press things that kind of like hold stuff in like a workshop and you just kind of put them all together and squish them in yeah 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 that's good you can't waste anything uh, when you've gone through something like the depression exactly. it'll, it'll be like us in like 50 years like still hoarding toilet paper you know what i mean yeah. Just, oh, I, was, I was looking for that mask yeah um i had trouble with this mm. because our podcast is age like milk so it's like does do things hold up mm-hmm. like what parts of the movies hold up so for me this is kind of like a a bourbon milk mm. not saying that you you shoved it down my throat like mm. Cary Grant got, but, and I'm and I'm glad we watched this, but it did make me feel kind of off because mm. I thought the acting does not hold up to today's standards, and I appreciate what they were doing at the time, mm-hmm. and I know it was hard to shoot some of these shots, um, like with the backdrops, and they kind of looked off. Right now, you can do like CGI, and it might look a little better. Some of them are great, like that house backdrop was amazing. Mm-hmm. So, like little bits and part or pieces of it to me did age. So, like 
I I like the movie, but overall, I think it aged with my actor's mindset because a lot of the stuff was super cheesy to me. Yeah. Like you said, when Eva is holding on and then, or she scrapes her elbow and she gets down and she's like, she's she's throwing her head back and forth and just grabbing her elbow. It's like, that's not realistic when someone scrapes their elbow. No. Right. It's like, oh, fuck. Like. You know, re- be really into it. And I get it's hard on a sound stage, but a lot of actors, like to your point, shoot on green screen. The oh my whole God, movie Thor right is now. all, you know, yeah, Chris Hemsworth exactly. reacting to nothing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And he pulls it off. So, yeah. I, I think uh, I did like this movie, but I did think it aged for those reasons. But it's interesting. It's, be- it's interesting that for you it aged not because of like the topics covered in the film, but because no. of like a execution or technical. Exactly. That's so fascinating. Yeah. So like we, I would watch, I don't really like remakes, but this is so old that mm. if somebody took this story and put Harrison Ford in it, mm. right? Like, have you seen some of the Harrison I, I Ford movies from the old. 90s? I think he's too well, old now, but yeah. Yeah, we'd probably need somebody else, but like a hair, I'm thinking like Harrison Ford and like in, in, Indiana Jones type. Yeah. Not not Indiana Jones because he did some thriller movies um, hmm. where like, you know, people were chasing him. But and that, that suaveness, he, like, like that Patriot look. Games. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And he's an, a pho- he's a phenomenal actor. So if if you elevate this movie, the story, which I thought was was pretty good mm-hmm. um, and acting was just a little bit better. Like I said, just threw me off a little couple parts because some of the parts up till now we're like cheesy on the acting side remake this movie though because in modern times there's so many things they could just verify you know i mean the guy blocks out the cameras in the u.n okay they got it they got the tech guy that shuts something down and sure yeah but like also they could track you on your phone they could google you your social security i don't know but yeah there's there's ways around the the guy hits the atm right away Mm -hmm. and gets cash so they can't trace him like that throws his phone away smart oh my god you You know know, you know we're such predictions like next week we're gonna be like oh shit they're making it west by southwest i was like yeah (laughs) (laughs) i was i literally for a second i had a brain fart today and i was like east by east west and then i was like no that's not what it's called (laughs) i was just losing my mind like Hang on a second. Uh, No, so that's interesting. Okay. Well, I agree with you. I would be down for a remake of this. I mean, I wonder, have they touched a lot of Alfred Hitchcock movie remakes? I don't think so, right? I think they redid Psycho. Okay. Yes, they did. Yes, obviously. I want to say um, that. With What's-His-Face, the guy that lost all the weight. Um, Not Eric Bana. The other guy that kind of looks like him. It'll come to us and everyone will be like, you guys are idiots. Psycho. (laughs) Um, But I did want to say as well about this film uh, that... I do think it's an important piece of cinematic history, especially like obviously going to the museum and seeing that a lot of people were inspired by it. And in fact, some people consider this like an early Bond film. It kind of inspired um, the Bond franchise. I believe it came out before the first Bond. And, you know, I think that's interesting because there is elements of Bond in Cary Grant's main character of Roger Thornhill, where he's kind of aloof and he kind of like, it's the girl kind of easy. And mm-hmm. he doesn't seem to like try too hard, but he so, sort of, you know, still gets out of every sticky situation. So yeah, I mean, Alfred Hitchcock is, you know, a legend in the, in the cinema. So I'm glad yeah. we watched it. Me too. Like I said, I do, I do like this movie. It just, 
the uh, some of the things yeah. didn't work for me you. or didn't hold up. And we're looking. So, like I drink it, gross milk, and I'm like, I like this milk, even <laughs> though it's gross. Yeah. But also, it's interesting. Everybody will watch these films in different ways. Like I'm sure people have watched movies that we've thought like didn't age at all, and then they're like, this movie's fucking terrible. Like that's the great thing about filmmaking and cinema and stories is that we can all enjoy them and come away with different things because we've had different experiences and we, you know, take different meanings from them. So I would say, even if you think it's like a gross bourbon milk that you're forced to drink and then get behind the wheel of a car um, (laughs) or a depression era can milk that is found in your grandparents' (laughs) basement, um, I say, go watch it, you know, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. And, uh, and yeah, if you're in LA, go check out the um, Academy Museum and see the real life backdrop. I think it's the real one. I imagine that it is uh, because it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to see cinema history in real life, you know? So David, that's the NFL podcast. Um, usually we talk to our guests and say like, how do we find you and blah, blah, blah. But I would say instead, let's quickly say one resolution for the podcast that we would like to achieve in 2022. I'm going to go first. Uh, David and I have been talking about posting the videos of our podcast online. And I think that would be fun, especially after being on blockbusting with um, Diet J from the yeah, blockbusting podcast. It was really fun to actually watch ourselves talking about a movie. I think there's a lot lost in the face um, movements. So that's, mm-hmm. I hope that we can get a setup going. Yeah, we can definitely do that. It's extra editing because it's like also, you know, your face. But what's, yeah. one, what's one resolution for the podcast for you that you'd like to do? Um, I would like to get our first sponsor, even if it's yes. just like, even if someone's like, all right, here's a hundred bucks, just mentioned us the next five you episodes. You know what? I saw you drinking kombucha and I recently saw a kombucha giveaway online and I was like, man, we should just reach out to them. And we always do booty sweat on our podcast. I'm doing that in quotations. <laughs> I love kombucha. Like, I would Where'd you get this kombucha sweat? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think I would do it for like a couple cases of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Just, so. just something simple. Um, and it that would feel good and it'd be good for us good good bar to mm, keep us i love this you know. hemorrhoid cream it's so <laughs> so good on my butt it does feel pretty good it's pretty on damn good um yeah. well, but i'm put you on the hole so yeah no that's a great one so if there are any brands out there please consider us or 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 if you're a listener of this just venmo us no like 50 we gotta bucks. we gotta set up <laughs> our patreon we're gonna set up our patreon okay. this, yeah but i would say like so even if you're just an individual and we just shot you out yeah. for like five Hype episodes yeah yeah exactly then, uh, you know but if there's any influencers that um <laughs> want to sponsor us for for a couple episodes and we plug your ig love that love that great <laughs> great idea and don't forget to follow us on ig at age like milk pod um also on twitter and you can email us at age like milk podcast at gmail.com and david that's it for episode That's one it. of 2022. Potentially, potentially, we might get a TikTok coming. We've been talking about like, a TikTok. Yeah, we with have, like 10 second clips. We have some sketch ideas. Every yeah. time I get a little drunk, I write down more. I sent, you know, I tell David, I keep my notes app pretty handy. So I'd be down for that. Some remakes of scenes, some, yeah. some stupid ideas I've had. It'll be funny. We're too old but, for TikTok, but we'll try. Exactly. It's for the po- it's the podcast you TikTok. Know, it's for the but fans. We, All the fans yeah. have gone. We want you guys to see <laughs> us. Um, but for now, David, you should check your grandparents' basement. 
Oh, you French for soap, uh, and make sure that make sure that milk ain't spoiled. Make sure that milk soap ain't spoiled because gross milk is gross. Happy twenty twenty two, guys! I almost said twenty twenty one. Yeah, so glad to still be here. Um, if we go down into lockdown three point we'll still be here. Your friends oh, yeah. on the airwaves, and we'll see you soon with some exciting new gifts. Yeah, love y'all. Stay safe. Bye.